Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. So today is a very important day in the Christian year, um, which you may not be aware of. It's called Christ the King Sunday. It is a day where uh, we end our year together. This is how the church puts a, an exclamation point on its year, that no matter what is going on in the world, Christ is the King. And that as we've been looking at for now the entire fall and most of the summer, we are citizens of that kingdom. This is what our ultimate identity is. And so today we uh, look at a text about Jesus as the king and when he comes uh, and brings that kingdom, what will happen. And so if you would, uh, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, please do turn to Matthew 25. I'll be reading verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of these, the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this um, Sunday to remember that you are king. You're king over everything that's happening right now. It's not um, trite or dismissive to say Jesus is on the throne. It's not reductionistic or overly simplistic, but it is profound. You are king. And so we pray for an imagination to hear this word today that you give to your church about what it means to live as citizens of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. So as uh, Ginny and I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, just the nature of how we have to do these recordings, uh, sometimes we end up recording well in advance. So I'm actually giving the sermon 10 days before any of you will see it. And it's impossible to know right now what 
the world will be like in 10 days. I mean, hospitalizations, uh, deaths, COVID cases continue to climb. Every state in the country has now been designated as a place with uncontrolled expansion of the coronavirus. Uh, there are still legal battles in several states where Trump is fighting for the election and is unwilling to uh, concede. There's a, a vaccine that looks like it may be promising, but even could still be months and months before uh, we actually see it or it is implemented in society. And, um, and I don't know exactly what the news is saying the world is going on in the world today where you are. But I do know that everyone I talk to is um, weary. And uh, Thanksgiving is this week. I was talking to a, an older woman who worships in our church um, this week, and she was just kind of uh, lamenting, mourning with me that she's not going to be able to do Thanksgiving uh, with her kids and her grandkids the way that she always has. There's just so much this year that's just been taken from us. There's just so much that's been um, lost and it just, it doesn't look like it's going to change uh, real soon. And I just want to say when, when we talk about citizenship or being citizens of God's kingdom or that Jesus is king uh, of, of a kingdom, we're, we're not seeking to be, as I just prayed, we're not, we're not being dismissive. We're not, we're not, we're not trying to be flip, flippant or, or trite or not say that there's not real tangible, physical, material, political needs in the world today. It's just to acknowledge that thanks be to God, there is a greater, larger, more solid, more substantial, deeper, truer, and everlasting thing that is bigger than the moment that you and I are living in. And the church has always seen itself as being proclaimers of this counter narrative of this counter kingdom. From the very first days of the church, they picked up the primary propaganda slogan of the Roman empire, which was Caesar is Lord. Caesar is King. Caesar is, is, is essentially God over all that is. They picked up the primary propaganda uh, slogan of the Roman empire and they turned it on its head so that Paul could say in the book of Romans, for example, that a person who confesses that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. The person who was killed by the Romans is Lord, not the one who rules over the Roman empire. This is a politically charged counter kingdom claim. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, Christ the King Sunday, citizenship, we are, we are simply acknowledging and thanks be to God that the thing that you and I are a part of, as we, as we sing here all the time, this kingdom will not be shaken. It stands secure. Christ is the head. And so because of that, we look at the story today. We come to this final parable or this final story in, in Matthew's gospel. And we wrap up what has now been several months of us studying what it means to be citizens of God's kingdom. The church year ends today and our study in citizenship ends today as well. So the first thing I want to say about this text is that it is the final sermon of Jesus. It's the last lecture in Matthew's gospel. It's not Jesus's final words, but it is the last time he will publicly give a teaching or a proclamation of some kind of what his kingdom is like. In fact, chapter 26 begins with at the end of, we just, we read through the end of chapter 25 and then chapter 26 begins with the words, Jesus had now finished saying all that he wanted to say. So it's like everything before then has been this build up to this place. And then it, it culminates in this teaching. And in a sense, what Jesus is doing here is he's not just simply adding one more parable to the kingdom. He doesn't begin this, this teaching with, uh, or the kingdom of heaven is like a judge who separates the nations before him as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He's not, he's not giving a parable. He's, it's something more literal. He's describing future in a sense. He's describing um, something that is real in this story. 
And so we come to it and we, under, we need to understand that what Jesus is essentially doing is he's, he's filling out the metaphors from the previous couple chapters. This is what it looks like to, to invest your talents in the world. This is what it looks like to, to await the coming of the bridegroom. This is what it looks like to stay awake because the master is coming at an hour you do not know. This is what that looks like, this kind of life. The way that we become watchmen for the kingdom, Stanley Hauerwas says, is by performing the works of the kingdom, which is what Jesus is teaching on here. If we step back from the gospel of Matthew as a whole, we see that Matthew begins the ministry of Jesus with what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He ends uh, with this teaching by Jesus. And essentially, the whole, the whole gospel of Matthew can be understood by these two bookends. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus laying out for you and me what is the kingdom ethic. What does it look like to live as citizens of his kingdom? And then Matthew 26, Matthew 25 is him saying, this is what happens to those who take that call seriously and live in that ethic. And this is what happens to those who reject it. This is, this is what the future holds for people who listen to everything I've said before. Now, I think it's also important before we get too deep in this to ask the question, why is Jesus telling this story? Uh, there's no doubt that this story is meant to come to us and be about us, but it is, it is not being faithfully read if we think that the main reason Jesus tells this is to incite fear in you and me. We just looked at this last Sunday in the message. We just saw that, that, it is, that fear comes from a lack of knowledge about who God is, that when we're functioning in fear, we're functioning in a place of ignorance, not of knowledge. We don't actually understand what God's heart is like. So we need to, we need to reject that fear paralyzes us. As I said last week, fear paralyzes us. And if Jesus is about anything, he's about motion. He's about moving us into the kingdom, into this life in the spirit, constantly moving out of ourselves towards one another and not about paralysis. And there is always in Jesus's teaching, always an invitation to see the world through a lens that is, that is the way God sees the world. A lens that helps us see as God sees And in this teaching, Jesus is saying that those who have seen the world with the eyes of generosity and of selflessness and of abundance will in the end receive the generous overabundance of God. He says right there, receive the kingdom prepared for, for who? For you from the foundation of the world. That God has been building a kingdom for who? For you, but receive the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But those who have, instead of having eyes of abundance and generosity and selflessness, but instead have had uh, uh, scarcity and selfishness and greed controlling their, uh, their understanding of the world and of resources and of people around them and of their neighbors and of family members and what it means to look out for one's own interest first and be a hyper individualist, that they will in the end receive the due... Uh, they will receive what that life earns, which is, which is more scarcity. That if you view the world through the eyes of scarcity, you will receive more scarcity. If you see the eye, view the world through a liturgy of abundance, you will receive more abundance. There is something about Jesus' teaching on life after life that is always a continuation of what is going on right now. This is why C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, is, in my opinion, just such an important book. Because all it is is like logically working out what does it mean if the thing we are today is actually who we are becoming. Like we are moving in the direction of a thing. We're not like going to die and then have a 180 degree different experience, but actually a continuation of the life that you and I lead right now. Each one of us is becoming right now who we will be. And we have a choice right now. We have the ability to decide what kind of person we want to be. But over time, that choice becomes less and less like freely optional. And it becomes more like instinct. 
And then over time, that instinct just gives way to just becoming the thing that, that we are choosing right now. So if there's any fear or sobriety in this text, it is simply this, that there is immense and deep, profound significance to the decisions that you and I are making right now in today's world, right now. Now, the call of this story, what is Jesus calling the church to in the story? It's very simple, tangible, material love, tangible, material love. I think of like the the verse from first John where uh, he writes, my brothers and sisters, if we say we have the love of God, but we see a brother in need and we have the resources to meet that need, but we do not meet that need. How can we say the love of God abides in us? In other words, John had spent all these years with Jesus and listened to all these teachings and had been next to Jesus as he gave this sermon. And he understood that what the love of the kingdom is, is a tangible material love. It's, it's, not, it's not abstract, it's not, it's not immaterial, it's, it's, it's not esoteric, it's not just simply internal, it's not just a spiritual life that's just about me and my emotions or my philosophies or the way I see the world. It's not just merely an ideology or a worldview, it is actually meeting material needs in the world. It's being, what we say here at Trinity, uh, being the hands and feet of Jesus, being actual on the ground presence of Jesus to our uh, neighbors. And Jesus in his life does all the things that he calls his people to do here. He has fed people. He has welcomed strangers. He has visited people. He has cared for the sick. Jesus has lived out this parable, this teaching right in front of us. And Jesus does not give any indications in this text that he's calling us to metaphors. Giving a hungry person food is not a, a metaphor for preaching a sermon. He's talking about real material need visiting people who are lonely and shut in and sick in the hospital, which is something that none of us can do right now, but one day we will be able to. He's talking about giving food to people that they can eat, visiting a person who, if you're not there, there won't be anyone there. Um, In one of the commentaries I was reading, I I came across this quote. It says, in the last verse of Matthew's final parable, which is verse 46, Jesus defines righteousness for his followers in all the ages. Righteousness abides neither in performing rites of purification or in heeding legal mandates, but it involves embracing the way of the kingdom, which imbues the world with divine love and extends healing grace to all. And in that sense, it defines living faith as faithful living, and it invites believers to put into action the prayer of the Lord that God's kingdom would be done, his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a call, therefore, this call of Jesus in the, in the story of the sheep and the goats, it is a call to move towards the other, to open our hearts, to open our wallets, to open our doors to those in need. This is what it means to be Christians. This is what it means to be the church not to sit on the sidelines, not to live behind high walls, not to merely live in ideas and concepts, but to be on the ground in places where you're able to love people, like actually love them. People who are willing to get their hands dirty. In fact, next week we'll begin our Advent study and we'll see that Isaiah describes heaven coming to earth, God coming to earth as being a messy process. That God came and got his hands dirty. It wasn't clean. It wasn't neat. He didn't come and sort of float above the surface of the earth. That it was a, it was a messy thing, God coming uh, to earth. 
one of the ways that we're trying to live into this idea at our church right now, especially among our staff, is we've been for many months now going through a consultation work with Daryl Ford, a local pastor who is helping us understand racial history and his, racial history in the church and in our country and uh, how racialization continues today to shape our society and, and policies and how we as a church can, can not only be aware of these things, but can actively be engaged in trying to, to, to move uh, the society and our church and our people in the direction of justice and, and of repentance. And, and I'll just say like um, this, it has been incredible. Like it's been such a good experience doing this with, with Daryl and those on our team. And I've been so blessed. And I, I also just want to say like, it's been really hard at times. It's been really messy. It's, it's not been a, it's not been a clean process um, to try to learn to repent of things, to try to like learn a history that's uncomfortable to recognize your own implicit biases and your own privilege and, and the ways that these things have shaped your whole experience. And like, it's been uncomfortable and, 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 uh, and hard at times. And one day after we've done a bit more of this work, we're going to bring you all into it. And we're going to invite you to come and get your hands dirty and make mistakes and say the wrong things and ask questions that, that you, you feel dumb asking because you don't know what else to do, because this is what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to come and meet the earth and be unafraid be unafraid to get our hands dirty. Finally, we see in this text, the motivation for this call. The motivation of the call is that Christ is present in the least. Jesus' followers are meant to perceive the other as though he or she is Christ himself. There's this really beautiful woodblock print by Franz Eichenberg called the Christ of the bread lines. Um, it's, a, it's, it's just a reminder that whenever you see a person in need, whether they're in a hospital or a prison or on the street or sitting across the table from you, that's Jesus. Jesus says, that's me. When you've done it to them in those situations, you've done it to me. Um, this, is not a, this is not an isolated idea in the Bible. It's actually all throughout. God's identification with the poor is something that actually undergirds the entire Mosaic law. It's one of the reasons why there are several Proverbs, for example, that say something like, and this is Proverbs 14, 31, but whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but whoever is generous to the needy honors God. God takes personally the way that you and I treat the poor. It's why the prophets speak so powerfully and poignantly to our treatment of the poor and widows and orphans because God takes it personally how those of us in power treat those without power. Thomas Cahill, uh, the historian, uh, writes in this book, the, um, the Desire of the Everlasting Hills, which I, I just love this book. It's, um, I just commend it to you if you're interested in reading just a very interesting take on the life of Jesus. And anyway, Cahill writes this. He goes, it is ironic that some Christians make such a fuss about the elements of Eucharist, bowing down before them, kneeling in adoration because Christ is present in them but we've never bothered to heed these solemn words about the presence of Christ in every individual who's in need. It's perverse that some Christians make such a fuss about the bound text of God's word, carrying it processionally, holding it with reverence, never allowing it to touch the ground, but have never considered seriously this text of Matthew 25 in the light of which we would always catch God's needy before they hit the ground. Dorothy Day was a very uh, well-known, well-loved, well-revered um, Catholic worker and activist who, who sought to, to meet the material uh, needs of the poor of her day. And 
She writes in, in uh, one of her most well-known works, it is no use saying that we are born 2,000 years too late to give room to Christ, nor will those who live at the end of the world be born too late. Christ is always with us, always asking for room in our hearts. But now it is with the voice of our contemporaries that he speaks, with the eyes of store clerks and factory workers and children that he gazes, with the hands of office workers and slum dwellers and suburban housewives that he gives. It is with the feet of soldiers and tramps that he walks. It is with the heart of anyone in need that he longs for shelter. And giving shelter or food, this is, this is great, to anyone who asks for it or needs it is giving it to Christ. It is not a duty to help Christ. It is a privilege. This is the way it should be given, not for the sake of humanity, not because it might be Christ who stays with us, comes, comes to see us, takes up our time, not because these people remind us of Christ, but because they are Christ. Or as the poet Jared Manley Hopkins beautifully writes, Christ ten, plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the feature of men's faces. And so we come to the end of our, our um our study now on citizenship and being citizens of God's kingdom. And we come to the end of the Christian year and we see that the, as we have seen all along, that the kingdom ethic is, 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 is actually material generosity, practicing a liturgy of abundance. It's joy in the midst of sorrow and self-forgetfulness for the sake of others. And this kingdom, which shall not be shaken, is lived out. It's lived out in the world. And when you and I choose to love and to serve Christ receives it personally. When you and I choose to give ourselves away for others, when we choose to be present to a person in need, when we choose to open our heart to someone who desperately needs love, that's Jesus. He says, I take that as coming directly to me. One of the ways that we're going to be inviting you to do this with us, especially as we begin this Advent season, is, is looking for ways to be generous with, with our wealth this, this season something the church always does this time of year. Uh, we're going to have a toy drive on December 6th right here, right outside these doors. We're going to have a, 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 a gathering, event, a party where we're going to invite the whole neighborhood to come and, and drink cider and eat cookies and, and give toys to kids that don't have any presents coming to them this year. There's also on our website, you're going to see in the next week, um, a, a page with just a whole bunch of other opportunities to be serving material needs all around us this season whether it's in Clarkston to the refugee community or just the, the poor in our neighborhoods and our own zip code. How do, we, how do we seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus knowing that when we do, uh, that, God, that God receives that as kindness and generosity to him. And so let's, um, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together, remembering as we do that God is the one who gives us daily bread. He gives us this daily bread so that we can um, extend that generosity and abundance to others because we know we're well taken care of. We know that God is taking care of us. And so because of that, we are able to be hands of kindness and abundance to the world. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We'll see you in a few minutes outside for communion and worship. You are loved. Grace and peace.